Well, how are you all doing this morning? One of those, uh, this was one of those weeks that got away from me. I'm not going to lie about that, which is going to make this sermon real interesting. I can't even find my proclaim remote that actually operates the PowerPoint. There it is. So I had a, a real interesting week. Uh, uh, had my appointment for immigration on Wednesday. Uh, went down to uh, Seattle, went into the office, got really, you know, you get really intimidated for this interview. Go in, uh, did my, my civics les- lesson. Um, I had to prove that I could both read and write and understand English. Uh, my sentence that I had to, to read was, why do people come to America? That's it. It's, that was the sentence that I had to read. Uh, the response, the verbal response to make sure I could understand was people come to be free and that's what I had to write down. And so that was, oh, congratulations, you're now uh, American. No, they said, you know, that's, and then I did a civics, uh, civics que- uh, quiz. I you know, got asked 10 questions about this country and it was really interesting going through this particular thing, um, changing countries, changing citizenship. Uh, and the reason that I find it interesting and the reason I'm talking about it right now is we're in this sermon series called Different. Uh, And this sermon series is about how Christians should be living a different life to the one that they were living before they were Christians. Uh, That your life should look different. Uh, And and scripture actually uses the term citizen, that you and I uh, are to become citizens of heaven or citizens of another kingdom. And so I found it really interesting that we're in this sermon series in 1 Peter, we're in chapter 4, apparently, Um, whatever. Uh, I don't even have my proper Bible up here. I've got one that refuses to stay open, so I'm going to be running off this completely today. Um, And so I just thought it was interesting that as I went through this process to say, hey, I'm giving up this, everything that I've known before, everything that I've identified with before, this was my nationality, this was my citizenship, this is how uh, I grew up, this is what I was, all of that is going away. And it's so interesting to me that that is the life of a Christian. Because before you became a Christian, you had certain markers that identified, maybe you grew up in a Christian household, maybe you didn't, Uh, maybe you've known Jesus your entire life, maybe you're a new Christian, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but every single one of us had an identity before Christ that has been radically and uh, just massively altered by our encounter with Jesus Christ and the life that he has called us to live. And so you and I are different. And what this sermon series has been about is it's been about uh, the idea of behavior modification is not the way to be thinking about uh, how your life should be changed through Jesus Christ. It's not about behavior modification. It's about spiritual transformation. It's not about how good you are, how uh, strong-willed you are, how you can do it all in your own strength. It's not about you changing your habits and your behavior by yourself. It's about being, being spiritually transformed from the inside out. And so that's what we're looking at here in the book of First Peter. Now, the, the background to this sermon, if you haven't been here for previous sermon series, is that Peter is writing to a group of persecuted Christians. Uh, at the time, the emperor of Rome was a guy called Nero. He's not a nice guy. Nero had a habit of burning people alive just for the fun of it. Uh, he killed his first wife. He killed his mother. And uh, people believe he also killed his second wife. He's not a nice guy, right? This is Nero. He is the worst dictator that really the Roman Empire has seen up until this point. 
He's a bad dude. And he's specifically persecuting Christians. He is uh, saying that, that being Christian is wrong and I'm going to kill as many of them as I can possibly find. And so he's uh, in this atmosphere... Peter is writing to a bunch of Christians who are afraid for their physical well-being. They're afraid for their lives. And so he's been exhorting them these past three chapters uh, to live a different type of life, saying even though you're afraid of being uh, killed, even though you're afraid of persecution, you don't have to live like you don't know what's going to happen to you when you die. You don't have to live in fear anymore. And so this is what God's word says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I want you to... to, to for, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What he's saying is, before you were a Christian, you had passions, you had desires, you had drives, and now that you're a Christian, those passions, desires, and drives should be about forwarding the kingdom of God. It should be about no longer just doing whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, how you want to do it. It should be everything that you do, everything that you say, uh, your job, your work, your friends, your family, everything should be about pushing forward this idea that the world is in a place of darkness and that God is the light of that world and we need to push that light into a world that desperately needs it. Are you with me? Because right now I'm getting a bunch of stone faces like I'm the one that had a busy week. I'm not sure what y'all did, but right now I'm not getting a lot of livelihood from you, so I like my amens, my hallelujahs. Otherwise, I will keep going. I can preach through the entire Bible. We'll be here for, for a couple of weeks. I will do it, all right? I didn't bring any water up with me, but I'll do it, all right? If I don't get some feedback, get some... De- okay. I'm not calling you dead Christians in, in, the, in the way that you're dead in faith. I'm saying that you look like you're a bunch of dead Christians, right? Let's, let's, okay, l- let me explain this to you. Jesus saved you, all right? Jesus saved your soul from eternal damnation, and you should be happy about it, okay? Smile. Like, don't make me bring the kids back here. Like, we could bring the kids back in here, and we could... Uh, line them up down here. We could give them a bunch of brand new toys and look at the joy and excitement that's on their faces. What I'm saying is if a kid can get excited over Legos, you all can get excited over Jesus. Let, let's, let's get a little feedback here. Otherwise, I feel like I'm just preaching to myself, which is fun and I'll do it, but whatever. So you need to live a life that is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Continuing here in verse 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, parties, and lawless idolatries. What he's saying is if you look out at the behavior of the world, the world is going to say a bunch of behavior is normal and everyone should engage in it. Now, what this is not saying... Uh, I want to specifically talk about this. Uh, drinking parties is not talking about having one or two sips of alcohol every now and then. It's talking about going to specific parties that they had in the ancient world, both in Greece and in Rome, uh, where you would go and get completely drunk off your face, the type of drunk where you couldn't stand up, and then they would engage uh, in uh, orgies, they would engage in sexual promiscuity, they would engage in really pagan rites, and they would celebrate that 
life. So when, when you read stuff like this, it's not about banning alcohol altogether, saying you should never ever drink and if you do, you're going to hell. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is doing any activity that makes you lose control of your identity. Because your identity is in Christ. And if you are a Christian and your identity is in Christ, when you behave in such a way, people don't look down on you, they look down on Christ. Okay? And so when, when he's listing these off, he's saying Gentiles, uh, people who don't know Jesus, people who have no idea about salvation, they're living in these, passengers, in, in these passions, in this sensuality, in this passions, this state of drunkenness. Uh, and, and, and really, as a Christian, you don't have to live like that anymore. Um, he's, saying, he's saying in this particular section uh, that uh, as a Christian, you have been freed in Christ from a lifestyle uh, that really is harmful and destructive. Now, all of these things, when you look at it on the surface, you can say, really, oh, I don't think they're that destructive. I don't think they're going to, to pull me out of my relationship with Christ too much. They're not going to whatever. But every single one of these things is the, the, the slippery slope that starts a, a progression into a state of sin. And so going to a party, not an evil, sinful thing. Oh, you're an amazing person. Look Noah at said it's water. Noah said it's water, not aloe glow, crisp. <laughs> All right. Let's go with that. That needs Jesus. All right. <laughs> and so, so, so going to a party, this is where I was, train of thought, uh, going to a party in itself is not a bad thing, right? Going and celebrating an achievement. Someone uh, has had a birthday. Someone has graduated from college or someone has got a new job or someone has become a citizen of the country. Going to a party is not a bad thing. Thing. It's not a sinful thing. However, if you then become party-orientated and you only start thinking about going to parties and all you want is to, to go to the next party, and when you get to that party, you uh, don't live a lifestyle that is according to Christ and, and you start slipping into drunkenness and you start slipping into lewd behavior, that is the slippery slope of sin. And try saying that five times really fast. Slippery slope of sin, slippery slope of sin. I'm going, going for this again. I don't even know what that is, but it's on now. This is a lesson not to trust Noah. <laughs> and so what Peter is trying to get at here is he's talking to these Christians. And, and remember that these are relatively new Christians. Christianity hasn't been around that long. Uh, even though there's been an explosion of conversion throughout the ancient world, these are still probably new Christians. And he's saying to them that you need to guard your heart. You need to make sure that when you're out in this behavior, when you're doing this stuff, then you are representing Christ in a way that you are supposed to. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. This is what he says, when the world sees that you are different, when the world sees that you have been changed through the radical nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, people are going to look at you and they're going to be surprised when you don't engage in the same behavior as everyone else. I was talking to my, my friend Rob yesterday in the car. He's over there. He's my friend Rob, my buddy Rob, my best friend in the world. Uh, came all the way to Spokane just to visit. And we're talking about, uh, he's a video gamer like I am. I play Minecraft. He plays other games that we won't talk about. Shoot 'em up games. 
and he plays online with other people. And I'm not sure if you know much about the online environment in video games, but it can get a little toxic with people yelling, swearing, cursing, and, and, and general bad behavior. And he was telling me the other day that uh, he doesn't swear when he loses. He may occasionally smash his mouse, but he doesn't swear, right? To the point where the people that he plays with has said to him, dude, why do you swear? Like, you, you don't ever drop the F-bomb. Why, why don't you ever curse? His behavior is different than that that the world expects, and so it surprises them. Amen? And so you should be living a life that your behavior is constantly surprising people on how you act, react, and interact with them. Right? And, and, and that's just one example. You could blow this out to any example that you want. When you're working and you have a good work ethic and everyone around you wants to, to, to skive off work and they want, well, you shouldn't be working that hard. And you continue to work hard because you know that the Bible says, do everything in thought and deed for the Lord Jesus Christ and whatever your hand finds to do, let it do with all its might. Uh, and so you do your job well and people say, well, why are you different? You can, you can apply it to work. You can apply it to your circle of friends. Man, why, why don't you ever go out and get drunk with us? Why don't you ever, don't ever go out and party with us? Uh, you can apply this to your family. Uh, if you've ever had a traumatic family dinner where you've got Uncle What's-His-Name who goes on weird rants. I'm not saying who he is, but Uncle What's-His-Name. And you don't engage in that behavior. Some of you are smiling. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You all have, have a weird uncle. And what I'm told is if you don't have a weird uncle, you are the weird uncle. <laughs> I don't know why my brother told me that. My niece and nephew, Melena and William, are doing quite well. Thank you for asking. And so in your family group, if you're not the one that overreacts, if you're not the one that yells, who is selfish, who wants to always get their own way, you can draw attention to Christ through your different, unchanged behavior. That's what Peter's trying to get to. Now, he also says, that don't be surprised then when people who then feel guilty about the way they're behaving turn around and start maligning you. It's a word we don't hear very much, but essentially attacking you. Have you ever been attacked because you're different? Because you behave differently in Christ than someone else, than a worker or a friend or a family member? That they, they, they suddenly get on their defensive uh, I think because the Holy Spirit is pricking their conscience and going, hey, you shouldn't be behaving like that. Look at the way they're doing it. You can have fun just like they are without engaging in these sinful behaviors. And the Holy Spirit's tapping them on the shoulder and they get defensive and so they lash out at you. He says, people in the world are going to malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He says, while you're on earth, you have to actually put up with it. It's because you have to represent Christ. Now, I don't mean to say that you have to stay in those situations where someone is attacking you. You can walk away. But he's saying while you're on earth, uh, in, a, in an over sense, this is going to happen to you, and it's never going to stop while you're on earth. Uh, however, the people who are attacking you are going to stand in account before the judge of the universe. Okay? Uh, Jesus himself, uh, in the Gospel of John, said, hey, if you think people hate me, you can't imagine how much they're going to hate you. Jesus said that people are, uh, look at the way that I am going to be persecuted. People are going to persecute you tenfold. He said, as a Christian, you can expect, as a follower of me, you can expect 
people to look at your behavior, take, uh, take offense to it because it's calling out their sin and their issues, and they're going to attack you even more than they're attacking me. But Peter says, don't worry about that. Don't let that get you down. Don't let that be the thing that you focus on because ultimately every single one of us is going to stand before the throne of judgment. Now, I know if uh, uh, you're in my line of business, when you start talking about judgment, people start to get, get, get sweaty, uh, nervous because, you know, oh, he's about to start raving about, about hell. Yeah, I am. Uh, judgment is a thing that's going to happen to everyone. We have a God who is sovereign over the entire universe. And because he is sovereign, he is the only one in the position to judge every living person and every dead person. He is going to judge both the living and the dead on the day of judgment. We read this in the book of Revelation. But the thing is, if you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear because on that day of judgment, when you stand before the throne, Christ is going to raise up his hand and be like, nope, this one belongs to me next. As simple as that. Like, it's nothing for me to worry about. Like, uh, again, going back to this immigration thing, there was a two-hour waiting period in that little office beforehand. Like, you're in there, you've got, I had some 40, 50 other people all sitting, waiting for their interviews, and you're sitting there thinking, what if I mess this up? What if I don't get this right? What if I say the wrong thing in front of the person who I'm, I'm, I'm talking to? Uh, and, and you can really get inside your head. And I often wonder if Christians behave this exact same way. They're like, man, I'm going to stand before, ju- before God one day. I wonder if I did enough. I wonder if I prayed enough. I wonder if I tithed enough. I wonder if I read my Bible enough. I wonder if he really loves me. And Christians can get into this headspace and psych themselves out, and there's no need. Because as long as you are in Christ, you are a new creation, the old is God, the new has come, and you can stand before the throne of judgment and have Christ raise his hand and say, this man, this woman is mine, and they stand faultless in the sight of God because I died on the cross for their sins. And we don't have to worry. Peter says, man, your life on earth could suck because people are going to attack you. People are going to try and shame you. They're going to make fun of you. But don't worry, because when you stand before Christ, they'll be judged for that. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead, that though they judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the way the Spirit, uh, live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. When a Christian brother or sister sins against you, love them because love covers a multitude of sin. Figure it out. Get to the bottom of it. Follow the biblical uh, uh, message for dealing with uh, faults and, and things going wrong in the body of Christ. Deal with it biblically. Don't just leave it festering on the side. But understand that love covers a multitude of sins. Love each other earnestly. <coughs> Be sober-minded. I like the phrase sober-minded. It means actually think about stuff. Don't just react with emotion. Don't, it doesn't taste like water. Don't just react with emotion. Actually, react with logic. Think about things. I know it's real easy. We're, we're, humans are emotional creatures, Right? We, we react passionately to things. But you don't have to always be self-controlled and sober-minded. 
Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Show hospitality to one another. I think we do this well. I'm not going to lie. If I'm I'm proud about the Salvation Army for anything, I think we show hospitality to one another because we always have food. You're now my favorite. Is this real water? Oh, praise the Lord for that. I mean, thank you, Noah and, and Kathy, for getting me whatever this is. Aloe water. What is aloe water? Organic. Ooh. All right. I think the most important is not just showing hospitality. Do you notice what, how it says to show hospitality? Without grumbling? Come on, let, let, let's get an air. How many people can, can actually show hospitality without grumbling? I'm not one of them, like... When you all come to my house, I grumble a little bit beforehand because it means I have to clean. I'm not going to lie about that. Now, between you and me, this doesn't get back to my wife. She has a habit of um, not throwing away certain items of trash. When she cooks, it all stays out on the, on the benches. And then she goes and eats, and it stays out on the benches. And I come in behind her, pick it all up, put it in the trash. So when you all come over to visit, I grumble just a little bit. I will show you hospitality, but I, I have not followed this to the true letter of, of what Scripture tells us to do. So I'm not perfect. I know you all thought I was. <laughs> as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. I love this, that as each one of you has received a gift, my wife sometimes gets into these headspaces where she's like, I don't have any gifts. Because she doesn't have the gifts that are named in Scripture. And I think that, that's silly, right? I think she's gifted in so many ways. Like, if you don't know the way that we work here in the Salvation Army, she handles all of the administration, right? I get to preach, I get to, to lead praise and worship and do Bible studies, and I get to do uh, women's ministries. I get to do all the fun stuff. And she has to deal with numbers, and I think that, that stewardship and I think accountability in the way that we run things and run them well is a spiritual gift. And so she has that gift, and so she then is sharing that with everyone by making sure this ship stays afloat. Because if it doesn't, well, that's, that's her fault. Um, I'm just saying, she's in charge. She's in charge. Don't ever think that I'm the one that's in charge here. I'm not. She is, right? But those are her spiritual gifts, and she shares them with people. Um, I tell fantastic jokes, and so I share those with you, (laughs) often while preaching. What are your gifts? I I, I firmly believe that each one of you has been given a spiritual gift by God for you to share, to uh, embolden, and to build up the body of Christ. So what is it? We've tried uh, very hard in these last two and a bit years in Bellingham to start including you guys in the ministry that we do. Uh, praise and worship team, starting that, getting people on that, uh, our, our ministry to the public, getting you involved in that and getting you to have, it's because we believe that each one of you has a special gift that you can give back to the church. Kevin, fix the doorstop on the door. It's a spiritual gift because I can't do it because I don't know which end of the screwdriver actually works, all right? That's not something that I do. Kevin did it, Right? What's your spiritual gift? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's what he concludes this fantastic section with. When you do that, when you share your spiritual gifts with other people, when you offer hospitality without grumbling, when you live a life that is different from everyone else around you, and people know that, not only are they attracted to Christ, but then it glorifies God. It brings glory to God. When people look at you and look at the way that you're behaving, and it's different than everyone else, they don't look at you and say, man, that person is awesome. They look at the God that you worship and say, man, he is awesome. And that's why we should be different. That's why we should live lives that are radically different than that of the world. Because when we do, we attract people to that lifestyle and they are attracted to Jesus Christ. Which, listen, if they're attracted to Christ, we can plant the seeds of salvation and they can get saved, which means they don't go to hell. If you study the Bible and you believe in the reality of hell as listed in Scripture... You don't want anyone you know to go there. Because it is horrible. Eternal separation from love. No one deserves that. No one should get that. And so when you live a life that is different than everyone else around you, when your life is lifted up and people look at you and say, man, that person is different, that man is different, that woman is different, what what have they got Uh, that I don't have and how can I get it and they're attracted to Christ and they become Christians their soul is saved now how do you live this life that is different you live it through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit it is not and this is what's really fantastic because if I sent you out of this place and said you guys all have to on your own power live a life that's different live a life that is sinless live a life that is in such a way that you never stumble never break down never get anything wrong and everyone at all times looks at you and says man that person is different great if I was to send you out in your own power you would fail miserably because we're humans and and humans are sinful by nature We read that in scripture, in the book of Psalms, it says that you and I are sinners by by our very nature through the sin of Adam. And so you can't go out under your own power. You can go out through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you as the gift of Christ Jesus. When Jesus was leaving us, he said, look, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send a helper with you. I'm going to send you someone who is going to be able to... Uh, enable you to live this life that's different. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So, as we go from this place today, we're actually going to do the ending of our uh, meeting a little differently. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Wherever Noah is. Noah. Giselle. We're going to, and, and Margie, we're going to sing a final closing song. It's going to be our benediction song. Uh, it's a song called Send the Fire. Now, If you're a salvationist, you know this song. If you're an elderly salvationist, not making any eye contact, you know the old tune. We're not singing the old tune. It doesn't fit with the words properly. We're singing the new tune. Uh, It'll be up on the the screen. We're going to sing that. Um, Send the Fire. It is a fantastic song. Um, 